0: Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber. On today's show, media ownership. Back in the 1970s, the media landscape looked a lot different than today's. In most markets, you would have a newspaper, a radio station, a television station. That's about it. Obviously, the internet has changed that, but FCC rules have not changed since then, and much of the media ownership landscape is still governed by rules designed for the 1970s. What's going on? Joining me to discuss this is Matthew Berry, friend of the show and chief of staff to FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai. Matthew, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. So despite such insignificant developments as uh, the internet and the fact that newspapers across the country seem to be going out of business all the time as the economics of media have changed so dramatically, the FCC last month just doubled down on the same approach they've taken to this issue forever. And... I guess to start, it would make sense to explain what problem the FCC thought it was solving in the 1970s and why they still think that problem is important enough for these regulations. So 1975, the FCC adopted the Newspaper Broadcast Cross-Ownership Rule. What was that all about and why did they do it?
1: So the Newspaper Broadcast Cross-Ownership Rule prohibits a company from owning both a News daily newspaper and either a television station or radio station in the same market. So in 1975, you know, the commission said you could not own, let's say, both the Washington Post and a television station in the Washington, D.C. market. Uh, they did grandfather prior combinations. So Companies that did have newspapers and television stations or radio stations in the same market did not have to divest, but they prohibited the uh, creation of new combinations. Uh, this was principally designed to promote some uh, a, a view, viewpoint diversity, meaning that they did not want one company and uh, their the viewpoint that that company might have to dominate the media landscape in a particular local market.
0: And that, you know, it's a valid concern. I mean, if we think about the, the, there were a lot fewer voices back then, you know? So today anyone with any, with a computer, with a cell phone, I mean, citizen journalism, it's just a lot different. And I can see how people would be worried that if one company owned the radio station in a small town and the newspaper and the television station, that they would basically have a monopoly on coverage. They could a monopoly on coverage of the local capital or the local city council. It's diversity in media is clearly, you know, something we want, but That concern doesn't seem that valid today. I mean, it's just so different. And to say that the only games in town are these three legacy media, does the FCC just ignore internet news? I mean, has no one ever shown Tom Wheeler Google News? (laughs) I mean.
1: Well, you know, I think you raise an excellent point. Um, And I think that if you look at the media landscape today versus 1975, obviously the differences are dramatic. Um, In particular, the rise of the internet is um, something that is incredibly, incredibly different than 1975. You also have to look at the financial state of the newspaper industry. Uh, Print newspapers' circulation is substantially down since the 1970s. Uh, Advertising revenue has plummeted in recent decades. The number of journalists employed by daily newspapers has plummeted in recent decades. And because you, you see this shift from the print, print industry to the Internet. And so the, the, uh, people are not really banging down doors these days to buy newspapers, to invest in newspapers. Rather, what we see is newspapers either closing or scaling back their news coverage. In some cases, going from, let's say, a daily edition to only printing three days a week. And so you seriously have to question whether or not a regulation that deters people, in particular broadcasters, from investing in newspapers makes any sense in this day
0: and age. And that was really the impetus for today's show is because newspapers are dying. And that's, I have a soft spot for newspapers. I get my news on the internet just like most people these days, but I still, you know, my roommate gets the New York Times. I still like to pick it up. There's something about the physical newspaper that's fun um, the way it's designed is very deliberate, um, and the sections are put into certain places for a reason. And anyone who's gone to journalism school is probably going to also have this, this feeling and this nostalgia. They want to save the newspapers. And it's, you know, sometimes you get a benevolent billionaire like Jeff Bezos to buy the Washington Post, um, but other times you don't, and they just go out of business. And really, John Oliver brought this into a national discussion with his TV show, And he does a good job a lot of the times of of doing some investigative reporting, which ironically is something that the newspapers tend to cut because it's so expensive. But I find it amazing that he goes through a 20-minute rant about the state of journalism in America being so dire and doesn't mention the FCC's media ownership rules at all. I mean, it's kind of incredible because his complaint boils down to newspapers are relied on for investigative reporting and, and like Capitol Hill reporting and... Local politics and accountability things that are important for the public interest He goes on and on and on about that and about how they lack the resources how television stations often rely on newspapers They'll say according to the Washington Post according to Wall Street Journal, even though it's a television show all of that And then doesn't say and by the way These TV stations that rely on newspapers for their a lot of reporting are prohibited from buying them and pooling their resources and and Like, how can you do, how can you (laughs) lament the state of media and not recognize this rule? I mean, do do most people just, are they not aware of these rules?
1: You know, I I can't speak for the awareness of the rules, but I, I do think that you raise a good point. And the question is, you know, technology is changing and the market is going to change. And I certainly don't think it is the government's role to prop up newspapers, but on the other hand, we shouldn't skew the marketplace and have rules that uniquely burden newspapers. And for instance, one interesting facet of the FCC's rule is that you can, own, if you choose to take your newspaper, as has happened in some cities, and stop printing it and just have it be an online publication, then it's fine to own a television station and that, uh, that new website. Also, if you cut back your publication and instead of printing an edition seven days a week, you print an edition three days a week, which is actually the case now in major cities like New Orleans, and you just update your website 24-7, well, then you can own a television station or a radio station in that market. The rule doesn't apply. So why would we want to create incentives for print newspapers to either go completely online or to cut back from seven days a week to three days a week. It doesn't make any sense. And what I think that this all shows is that the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule is not a rule designed for the digital age. It is very much a rule from 1975, and it reflects that era. And so the FCC's failure to update the rule and to recognize the incredible change that the Internet has wrought is very 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 unfortunate
0: and it's it's really amazing that you point that out i think this is a really important point that people need to take away from the show because if you talk to any journalism professor they're going to lament all the things you just described the fact that newspapers go to online only because that requires far fewer staff you lose jobs you lose beats your, your reporting is scaled back a lot. You're relying on wire services. I mean, it's a different model. And the advertising revenue you get is much less than what newspapers enjoyed at their peak in the 90s. That's a lamentable thing, right? Loss of investigative reporting, you know, closing bureaus around the world in cities where you want foreign coverage. These are all things we think of as negative in the newspaper industry, that they are sad. You know, maybe, maybe it's not bad, but it's just sad that this is happening, And you ask yourself, well, what can be done about this? And it's amazing that the FCC's rules are almost designed to incentivize newspapers to go that route because you will then – you're allowed to sell as soon as you drop the paper based on what you just said. And if you scale back and do less work, you now are less regulated and it's easier to sell your paper and and make some money. I mean why in the world – would the FCC want to feed into what is arguably a disaster in the print news industry?
1: You know, it certainly isn't based on the law, and it isn't based on the facts. Unfortunately, I think that there is, has been very have been very strong uh, special interest groups on the left that have fought against repealing the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule now for over a decade— And I think that they're just unwilling to see how much the world has changed. And we know, by the way, what the impact of newspaper broadcast ownership can be. Because as I mentioned, the FCC adopted the rule in 1975, but grandfathered those combinations that already existed. And many of those combinations are still around today. And what studies have shown is that combinations, newspapers, television stations owned by the same company, the television stations owned by those companies broadcast more local news on average than television stations that are not cross-owned with newspapers. Radio stations that are cross-owned with newspapers do far more news than um radio stations that are not cross-owned by newspapers. So we know that combinations, by allowing for the pooling of resources, allows you to do more news. And it's just basic economics. The more platforms you have to get your product out, the product being news, the more profitable it can be for you to produce more of that product. So the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule not only is bad for newspapers, but it's bad for TV and radio stations because it prevents them from having efficient combinations that allow them to do more local news.
0: I mean, this is just basic economics, but it's also workplace dynamics that people could easily imagine. I mean, it's hard to find people that want to report on the very granular goings on of local government. And it's important Because people follow national news a lot because you've got CNN, you've got Fox, you've got MSNBC, you've got a million websites. But it's a lot harder to find, you know, smaller publications, maybe really local news, hearings, bills that are being passed in your neighborhood. And if there's some people interested in that kind of thing in a newspaper and some people interested in that kind of thing in a TV station, and they all know each other and they've probably worked together anyway, why are we preventing them from pooling their resources wouldn't it be easier? And and getting to your point about economics, newspaper advertising revenue is in the toilet, but television advertising is not. And maybe it makes sense to empower the TV stations that might be doing relatively well, because local news is still doing fairly well, at least from what I understand from the National Association of Broadcasters. They've got this new app out where you can consume local news all over the country. So there's some positive developments in local news, and they seem to be doing well, but newspapers not so much. So the obvious thing is allow the economically viable entity like a television station to buy the failing entity. And part of the problem is the FCC claims that there are exceptions, right? That when a newspaper is like barely breathing life and when it's really about to die, like on its deathbed, then someone can come in. But that's silly because that's not an attractive investment. Maybe an attractive investment is a newspaper that's still got some good things going on, but if we don't buy it, it might die. The FCC's asking stations to wait until the newspaper is basically defunct, and then you might get an exemption. I mean, the presumption is, a, is against purchase rather than in favor of purchase.
1: Well, you're right. I mean, the question is, once a newspaper is at death's door, uh, people are much less likely to want to buy it. And so the question is, why should we, as a matter of public policy, say that we will not allow these combinations until the newspaper is in such a state that probably no one will want to buy it? We should want to maintain healthy, vibrant newspapers and forcing them to be uh, on the verge of going out of business before a, a broadcast station could buy them. Um, really does not provide much relief for the newspaper industry. That's what the Newspaper Association of America told the FCC. And it's just a matter of common sense. Um, if a newspaper's at death's door, the odds of saving it are are obviously much, much lower.
0: And the big fears are over consolidation and lack of viewpoint diversity. Um There are obviously those on the left who think any consolidation is bad and that just people owning multiple things is bad and that the ideal is everyone owns one thing and we all, you know, are equal, right? I mean, that's socialism. But I think there are probably people who just really are concerned about this diversity thing and it's a valid concern. But let's look at the evidence, right? Rather than just, you know, hypotheticals. A 2011 study found no statistically significant relationship between ownership and viewpoint diversity. 2012 follow-up found a positive connection between viewpoint diversity and the number of co-owned stations, And that goes to your point where we've seen good things happen when there's cross ownership. And we've been able to see this play out. This is not a theory because as you mentioned, there were these grandfathered arrangements. So we now have case studies. We have What the FCC has brought with its 1975 rules was success for the newspaper industry up until the advent of the Internet and then complete plummeting. But then in other instances where there was a grandfathered situation, we've seen survival and success. So this is not something that needs to be figured out. Yet, as uh, Commissioner Pai pointed out in his dissent, the FCC has spent all these resources studying broadcast diversity when they could very simply help the situation by getting rid of these rules. And he said, quote, if we think that diversity is important, why not spend less time researching the issue and more time actually doing something to make things better? I mean, is this really such a hard thing? I mean, is this really one of those partisan issues? What's stopping the FCC from doing it? Is it that Wheeler's got better things to do like set-top boxes, broadband privacy, net neutrality, on and on and on and on and on? Or does he really, really believe that a newspaper being bought by a television station in some small town in rural Oklahoma is going to ruin diversity?
1: Well, as Commissioner Pai said in his dissenting statement, um, we were told that we could eliminate the newspaper broadcast cross ownership rule so long as all of the
0: democratic commissioners agree that was all three out of five because the commission as listeners probably know at this point is three democrats two republicans because The president is a Democrat.
1: Right. So I interpret that to mean that Chairman Wheeler really does not believe in the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule if he said he was willing to get rid of it so long as all of the Democrats agreed. So I do think that a majority of the commission, both of the Republicans and at the least Chairman Wheeler, uh, do not believe in the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule. Unfortunately, one of the Democrats. Um, refused to go along with eliminating it. In essence, cast a veto. So despite what I believe to be the views of the majority, the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule was retained. I also wanted to talk a little bit about this viewpoint diversity question because, as you indicated, this has been researched. And the substantial weight of the evidence is that cross-ownership has no statistically significant impact on viewpoint diversity, and you might want to. And that might seem counterintuitive to some people. If you have a common owner of the newspaper and television station, won't that affect the views, the the editorial slant, the views that go out? And what the overwhelming weight of the research shows is that the viewpoints that are expressed by media outlets, um, are generally influenced by the actual, actually the views of the audience.
0: What a shocking thing yes. to think that a station or a newspaper would want to report on things that the audience mm-hmm. like. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> so
1: regardless of ownership, for instance, if you want to run a media outlet, let's say in the Bay Area, um, being rapidly conservative is probably not the way to have it, a profitable news operation. If you're in Jackson, Mississippi or whatever, being rapidly liberal probably isn't the way to go. So in trying to look at these combinations that do exist, that were there before 1975, there just isn't evidence that having a co-owned newspaper and television station harms viewpoint diversity. There's some evidence, actually, that it might help viewpoint diversity, but that's not really statistically significant either, so I wouldn't rely on that.
0: Yeah, no one's arguing that this is a panacea that's going to make for a perfect world, but at least don't throw up extra roadblocks. And the clock is ticking, right? And they you start to ask the question over and over again, if we were to change it now, would it have an effect? If we were to change it now, would it have an effect? Because it's been so long. And I've got to ask you, would getting rid of the, this rule help save local news?
1: So that is an excellent question. And Sitting here today, I honestly don't know how helpful it would be. It certainly could not hurt, and I think it would have some positive impact. But as you've indicated in your question, to some extent, it's too late. Um, the FCC first held that the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule was not in the public interest and should be repealed back in 2003. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the Third Circuit passed uh, Vacated that determination and sent it back. Uh, the FCC then again in 2007 um, loose, voted to loosen the newspaper broadcast cross ownership rule and allow for some cross ownership. Uh, the D- the Third Circuit once again vacated the rule. This time, saying that the proper procedures had not been followed. So here we are back in, now in 2016, and the FCC has decided to keep the rule. Well, had the 2003 repeal of the rule uh, taken effect and not been struck down by a court, I think that would have had a substantially positive impact in terms of the newspaper industry. Um, We've seen a lot of deterioration over the last 13 years. And so the question is now, is it too late? I don't know the answer to that question, um, but what I do know is that the rule makes even less sense in 2016 than it did in 2003, and that the government should not be standing in the way of investment in the newspaper industry. We should get rid of the antiquated regulatory obstacles, and then we should let the market sort itself out. Is Are there broadcasters that want to invest in newspapers? We should see if that's the case. I don't think any harm can be done by it, and there may be some positives that can come out of it. So in my view, if there's, if there's a regulatory obstacle, it doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, the role for government should be to get rid of that obstacle and then see what happens in the marketplace. It may have no effect. It may have a positive effect. But what I do know is that it's not going to have a negative effect.
0: Yeah. And as uh, Commissioner Pai said, I'll briefly paraphrase him because I uh, I don't think I have the exact quote here. But he said something like, if in this day and age, you want to buy a newspaper, we should all be thanking you, not blocking your transaction. I mean, that's a basic thing. And it's it's not an argument that this will save the industry. It's not an argument that cross ownership is the greatest thing ever. It's just a simple thing. Don't put up the roadblock. Let things play out. And I've got a ask you one last time about this process thing because we talk a lot on the show about the FCC's process in addition to the rules that it makes. And I find it absolutely hilarious that on this issue, out of any issue that the FCC works on, that unanimity is so sacrosanct because we have seen more three to two partisan votes under this commission than any previous commission. I think it might even be something like X number of past commissions combined. And the, the chairman has referred to three to two partisan votes at a regulatory commission as democracy in action. So, on net neutrality, on broadband privacy, on set top boxes, you know, all these issues where partisanship is totally fine, except on the one issue that is probably the least partisan out of all of them, it's totally unacceptable to have a four to one vote with two Democrats and two Republicans disagreeing with one Democrat. I mean, Is this just completely ridiculous? Is there any logic to the idea that unanimity is important at this FCC compared to all the other FCCs? The
1: inconsistency is astounding. Uh, We've had 3-2 vote after 3-2 vote after 3-2 vote, and we're told that's what democracy is all about. (laughs) And it turns out that... 3-2 Three-two votes are what democracy is all about, so long as there's a neat partisan division. We have the three Democrats voting one way, we have the two Republicans voting another way. God forbid
0: they agree, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: If we have a three-two or a four-one vote, where the Democrat there are the Republicans, it's two Republicans and one Democrat, two Republicans and two Democrats on one side, and then there's only Democrats on the other losing side, then that is apparently a huge problem that cannot be allowed. <laughs> and this just speaks to the partisan way that this commission has been run. Chairman Wheeler is, without doubt, the most partisan chair the FCC has ever had. And some people might say, oh, he's exaggerating. Well, look at the speech that he gave last month at the Aspen Institute. Most people have said, if you look at their press reporting, that that is the most partisan speech that anyone Any FCC chair has ever given, Uh, you had an FCC chair fly out to Colorado and recount the three to two votes, and then say elections have consequences, (laughs) and that you know the decision that the voters make in November is going to determine the future course of all these issues. I mean, all that was missing was a disclaimer. You know, this message has been paid for by the Hillary Clinton for President campaign, (laughs) Um, and it's just astounding and. It, it, the newspaper broadcast ownership rule is just one manifestation of how partisanship has affected virtually every aspect of this commission.
0: Yeah, I mean, most people think that elections have consequences on a policy level at, in Congress, right? That That's where people expect that elections have consequences. You know, when it's a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic president, yes, there's going to be consequences. But I, I don't think that voters go to the voting booth thinking that whoever the president is means that... Every single regulator in the country is just going to do whatever the hell it wants, regardless of what any Republicans on the commission say. Most voters don't go into the booth thinking that my vote for president is going to set policy at the FCC because they think of these regulators as experts that are supposed to make determinations based on the facts. And in this case, media ownership, the facts point to the rule is bad. Yet, here we are. So... Elections have consequences, they certainly do, but they don't necessarily have the consequences that people actually expect or that the law requires. Uh, but we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, my guest has been Matthew Barry, uh, Chief of Staff to FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai, who strongly dissented to the FCC's uh doubling down on the same old bullshit uh, a month ago uh, adopting the same rules from the 1970s uh matthew thanks for joining the show
1: it's good to have been with you
0: <laughs> follow us on twitter and facebook uh at tech freedom let us know what you think of the show send us an email at media at techfreedom.org find this podcast in the itunes store please leave us a review because it will help others find the show thanks for listening